0: been fascinated by talking to creative people, those who think differently, understand uniquely, and see the world in their own way. Now don't get me wrong, I love what creatives produce, but often the story behind the story is what really inspires me, because I want to know where ideas come from, because that's where the magic happens. That's the creative backstory. Hello and welcome to The Creative Backstory. I'm Kelly Planer and my guest today is John Mavrudis and he is living the dream as a working artist in San Francisco and he is where he is a um, huge uh, Golden State Warriors and Giants fan. He has earned two nods from the, not just one, but two from the American Society of Magazine Editors for Magazine Cover of the Year, which is amazing. And um, one of them was for a New Yorker cover. So most recently, he's gained a lot of attention making typographical portraits, where he uses words to create the facial structure and the environment of the portrait, creating a new form of editorial journalism. Welcome, John. I'm still pinching myself that you said yes to do this podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a pleasure to be with you, Kelly. Thank you. That's very kind. Thank
0: you. So tell us a little bit about... um, Tell us a little bit about your work and how you do it and how you get it. And and uh, then we'll get into what you're working on and how that happens.
1: Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've been uh, doing the art illustration gig for, I don't know, 20 years now. Um, but I, I think probably just since around 2016, if I or maybe a little bit. Uh, before that have I really been um, doing well I think in the field Uh, other than that it's been you know kind of a struggle to get to get where I am today but um, you could sort of see a career arc you can see it it wasn't like um, you know something nothing something nothing it was sort of a slow steady build up and uh, a couple of covers kind of um, had a break for me. One was uh, uh, some of the work I did for the New Yorker. Mostly concepting ideas as opposed to illustrations themselves. Um, idea generation with them um, led to four different covers, um, but only um, one of which I did the art for. And in that particular cover, they haven't printed yet, so who knows what's going on with that. But uh, they bought the cover, but then I think as uh, magazines are wont to do, sometimes they hold on to something for the right occasion.
0: Is it an um, honor to be nominated? I don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. Yeah. So, so the, 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 I think it was 2006 was the, uh, was the cover, it was the fifth anniversary of 9 11. Um, and I sent in some ideas to the New Yorker and some sketches, and they ended up liking one of them um, because they, the four, Covers before were more mournful, obviously, of the event, and they wanted to take a look forward. And I ended up um, envisioning Philippe Petit, who crossed the twin towers on a tightrope. And there's been a since then, um, there's been a, a documentary about it. I think it's called Man on Wire. But at the time, there that didn't exist, and I was just reading about Philippe Petit and thinking about how that could never happen again. And then I thought, well, the spirit of New Yorkers transcends the mere uh, architecture of the building or whatever. So I had him just sort of suspended in air um, above the footprints of the towers. um, um, And they ended up um, having many iterations. I was trying different sketches here and there. And finally, um, they turned it over to a fellow illustrator in the Bay Area named Owen Smith. And he um, did the final artwork for the cover. But they, for the first time in the New Yorkers history, they credited me uh, as sort of a co-creator and that ended up winning uh, cover of the year.
0: Wow.
1: So, yeah, that was, that was a lot of, um, a lot of excitement, a lot of fun. And um, it kind of opened some doors here and there and um, did some work for the nation in the 2016, um, actually 2009 the Obama, uh, Obama inaugural cover, which was, um, I took civil rights figures from throughout history and had him a, had all these people appear at the inauguration because I was trying to think of who would want to be there at that moment where um, a lot of change happens. Um, And from there, I did some more work for the nation and then um, got a call from Time Magazine about uh, the Christine Blasey Ford situation. I'd sent some sketches in previously to them of previous work I had done um, and sort of out of the blue, got in a call and an email from the art director at the time. And I had, we agreed to do it. And I had like um, four days to turn the cover around, which was crazy at the time, because of the way I worked um, on these typographic portraits. And then um, when that hit, it was sort of a, I was used to sort of like, I thought a big deal on Twitter or Facebook was, you know, 20, 30 retweets or shares. Um, But I wasn't prepared for that. No, it was like I woke up the next day and there was 4000 notifications and, you know, things like that. So,
0: well, that's how I um, became that's how I knew you, because I was walking in the store and there was Time magazine. And I'm just going to try to describe this this cover. It's it's Christine Blasey Ford. And she captured. She brought up a lot of emotion in me because her story, I just couldn't fathom why a woman, you know, that a woman, not how, I get how, that a woman would would unwillingly put herself in the center of a national issue like this. And her bravery and the way I think about how she processed this and why she did it so I walk, I'm walking by a store, and I'm like, whoa, stop the press, because here's this cover with her picture, and her words are all her, her um, testimony, and they fill right. in her face and her um, – and I don't know how you did it, John, but you managed to capture everything I was thinking about in that one image. And I bought the magazine, and I – I think outside of being an NPR supporter, and I got Time Magazine delivered to my house for a couple of years. I don't know that I've ever actually purchased one off the shelf, but I still have it. And I I look at it, and I, I just marvel at the stuff you brought up in it. And that's when I emailed you. And you were really nice to get back to me. And then all of a sudden, we were chatting on Facebook, and then you know, that's how we met. And we haven't right. really haven't stopped talking since, you know, <laughs> so,
1: yeah. which is awesome. Like um, I won't shut up.
0: <laughs> I don't shut up. <laughs> We're doing a podcast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I, I don't know, you know, as you're spending four days doing this, I feel like you really got in her head and you obviously struck a nerve with the nation and you know, bravo. And it's amazing. I'm so interested in your process, like what you were thinking about as you were doing that.
1: Um, well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. It was, um, if there was one moment in my career, that was probably it so far in terms of impact. Um, it was a big deal. Uh, my, I mean, I remember growing up and my parents getting Time magazine and always seeing the famous red border, you know, on our coffee table. And they subscribed to the magazine. And so I was always reading it as well. Um, And then to get a call from them, you know, I had sent in work previously. uh, I'd done a couple of uh, typographic portraits, um, I think two or three before that. But they had taken me a long time to do. I mean, it literally... um, I did a portrait of, of uh, uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and those took, you know, over a month to put together. I wasn't like, you know, pulling all-nighters or anything, but I kind of did them at my leisure, you know, whenever I could work things in and out, I would I'd put them together. And the, the first thing that comes about is research, just figuring what needs to go in there. And when I got a call, a call from Time Magazine, um, we talked about um, what, what the portrait would be about. We were looking at photos. Um, there was a particular image where, I mean, I, I watched the like, like the whole nation. I watched the testimony she gave and was struck by her, you know, her dignity and poise um, through the uh, through the hearings. But when she stood up and you know raised her arm to take the oath and. Um, Before she gave her testimony, there was a moment where she kind of closed her eyes, and we just thought that was a really good moment um, to capture. Um, So at that point, I had sort of the imagery um, that I wanted to mimic, and then uh, I started combing through her testimony and watching the video and writing down phrases and words that um, I thought were impactful and kind of told her story. And at first, um, time was going to get back to me with their own list of words that they thought were important as well. But I started sketching it out in the meantime and at a, at a certain point, um, they got back to me because I showed them what I had, you know, just sort of a sketched in version and, um, some of the words they said we, they wanted to pull back on because they they said the idea is not to re-traumatize her, but to tell the story of what happened, basically. And so some of the more incendiary uh, comments we originally I had written in her hand. Um, but then we we took them out and added other ones instead. Um, and as I go through the process, I'm laying down words and figuring where along her face um, or hand I should put things uh, like her memory quotes about remembering certain things, the rooms, the hallways, things like that. Um, I put those in the, in the head, um, the forehead area, because, again, that's the memory um, in her eyes. I put visual cues about things that she was um, describing. And then um, probably the, the, the hand was more about things that were either welcoming or deflecting because the hand could be used for either... Um, purpose and then I think the 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 most impactful of all was around her mouth where she said I tried to call for help and um, at first I just had it on her lips but then finally took the word help and pulled it and put it where her teeth would go so that the word help kind of stood out by itself Um, and going through the process so so this took a few days it it was a couple of all-nighters and about halfway through the process, I'm wondering if I've gotten myself into more than I can handle. But at, when you start to see the image forming and it starts looking the way you think it's supposed to look at that point, I just emotionally just kind of calm down and feel like, OK, I can do this. It'll 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 work. Um, and then we finished up on a on a um, Monday night, Tuesday morning, I got in, I sent all the, the, the final things in and then I had to be up at about five o'clock in the morning West coast time to make sure there wasn't corrections. And there was a few, you know, there's always a little few spelling errors or something doesn't work or whatever. So corrections. And then finally sent it in. Um, And then uh, uh, two days later when it was printed, you know, it was crazy about 1130 at night, the previous night, um, Brian Seltzer, uh, or Seltzer, I think it's Seltzer, uh, from ES, uh, CNN tweeted out the cover. Um, and then I st- I was told not to do that until the morning, but I guess he got an advanced copy of it and started seeing a, like kind of a flood of responses, but then went to bed. And then when I woke up, it was like crazy, all kinds of emails and notifications. and uh, And it was kind of a weird, crazy ride for a few days actually even longer than that because, you know, interview requests and people, you know, I heard from, Time Magazine's a big deal and I knew that, but I wasn't quite sure how big the impact would be. But when you have like the BBC calling you and, (laughs) you know, CBC in Canada and Australia, it was, so it was crazy. And, um, but hearing back from people about what the cover meant was probably the biggest deal to me. I still remember being on a BART train Um, going into work in San Francisco and sitting on the bar train looking at at emails and one was from a uh, woman who was saying that her husband didn't believe her, um, didn't believe uh, Christine Blasey Ford and the woman just said why and he goes well yeah I just don't think she's telling the truth or whatever because she didn't say anything for all those years And then the woman said that that was at that time that she told her husband for the first time what happened to her when she was 13 years old. Um, So I get, yeah, pretty emotional about that because um, I think everybody has a story and people don't always share it, you know, so. Well, they, you know, we've,
0: we've been kind of taught that that's not something talk about. That. So exactly. Swallow up. Yep. And, you know. Yep. I'm sorry that happened to that lady and I'm glad, you know, when did it hit you? Like what you did?
1: You know. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, it's easy to see all the notifications and, and, um, you know, you get the interview requests and stuff like that. But um, I literally think that morning on the BART train when i read that one particular email that was like a big deal um and then after that you start hearing from other people who like feel a need to kind of tell their stories you know and i'm just i'm just some like an artist doing this stuff i'm not you know professional in you know uh mental health or crisis management or anything like that but um i heard from a couple people who wanted to use the cover to hang up um, because they thought it would be therapeutic for some people, um, for what they had gone through, you know, and when you read stories like that, or you hear people talking about things like that, you think, well, um, yeah, job done, you know, you couldn't ask for more as an artist in terms of making uh, an impact, so. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and I do kind of, you know, it's editorial, but it's, journalistic and and maybe never more than than some of your george floyd artwork and then you know after this i swear we'll lighten up a little but this was significant (laughs) and amazing Um, particularly and and i know you and i talked about um you created two george floyd pieces of artwork one was the typical poster of the 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 face we've all come to know and see and and remember but the other was was an image based on on the cell phone footage of what i call america's first public snuff film and the horrors of what happened so tell us what you did and how you processed this image and i will put all this stuff up on the facebook page and up on instagram so everybody can see what we're talking about if they haven't seen it but it's 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 chilling, and it's and it's what art does best. I think sometimes.
1: Yeah, I was, um, ironically, I was, um, you know, like everybody, I was horrified um, when I heard the story, and so I spent the the weekend kind of creating some pieces and trying to get this out of my system to what I had just witnessed, and um, I think uh, uh, one of the first pieces I. I created was again a typographic portrait using um, uh, victims of, of uh, police violence uh, that had gone through before and so was compiling a list or whatever and I, I put all this stuff together um, did a uh, I think I was about halfway finished with the portrait and submitted that to Time magazine again. This is afterwards and uh, uh, heard back from the art director. They liked it. They wanted me to continue working on it. So I worked on it over the weekend. Um, And then they were thinking about using it as a cover. And uh, the last I think it was on. I think Sunday night I got a call um, from the art director and said that they wanted to go in a different direction. That they were uh, they had found an artist who was going to be doing a like this portrait of George Floyd's mother, Um, and I think it was the right call. At the at the the end of the of the day, I saw the uh, the work that this particular artist did, and it it was beautiful. It was really really well done, Um, but I wanted to do something with the image, so I ended up. Turning the uh, finishing the image and turning it into a poster, but the uh, other image um, I wanted to capture uh, was that the, the moment of his um, of his death, and then I was thinking about how horrifying it was that we, like you said, it was a snuff film, but it was like it was like a slow motion uh, version of this, where you know I couldn't get over the fact that I know it's now over that time, but at the time that I was starting the piece, everybody was saying that it was eight minutes and 46 seconds. And that kept on rolling around in my head, eight minutes and 46 seconds. So I watched the film for the first time from beginning to end. I didn't want to. I never wanted to. I'd seen enough of it in a quick glance to know that I didn't want to see it. But then I thought you kind of have to. You got to if you want to document something, you you have to, you know, you have to watch everything to see. So I watched it all the way through. And then I think another time I just sat there and looked at a stopwatch for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And, and it just kept going over. How can one human being sit there and just do nothing and other people around, you know, who could have done something? I'm not talking about the, the spectators. I'm talking about the other police officers for eight minutes and 46 seconds um, while all this went on. And then I thought, well, okay, you know what, let's just document the whole process. So I sketched out um, and drew the actual imagery that you see from the cell phone footage of, him, of the uh, officer standing, you know, or up, kneeling on his neck and got that and then proceeded to hand right out a countdown from eight minutes and 46 seconds to zero, um, and then in between some of the times i had to end up having to watch the video about four or five times because i wanted to document some of what was said from george floyd as well so you have some of his comments breaking in the the sort of countdown to his death and i i thought that was the i just wanted people to see because you know people are aware of all of a lot of not all but a lot of the horrors uh that have been visited upon the black community in this country, um, but people have a tendency, I think, especially my fellow white citizens, to kind of um, overlook or think that's in the past or that was slavery, that was Jim Crow, that's back in the past, that were sort of numb to the fact that it still occurs and then Floyd happened last year and this was last year. And so I felt it was, I did that piece more for people um, to who were in denial about what was happening and could actually see and maybe take time to actually read that. If you don't wanna watch the video, I understand that, but you can read for yourself the countdown and, and the comments that were made and wonder where the humanity went, so.
0: Yeah, and what was so interesting to me is time is a concept that that we all live with and it's, it's like the air we breathe. We don't think at it. You made us look at it. And I think that as an no. artist, I've never seen anyone do that before. And it's just such an interesting way to make people understand something that in a new way that they weren't thinking about. So,
1: yeah, I think people have a tendency, um, like a, a gunshot takes, you know, a literal second to occur. Um, and that can be horrifying enough. Um, but the fact that you can, Take that much time to just, you know, take another person's life. I think that sort of um, that's sort of a, you know, a, an amazing and horrifying moment all at once about what um, what what our problems are in this country that we need to deal with head on. You know, we can't keep sweeping stuff like that under the rug.
0: Um, no, and the thing the thing is that people always say that the horrible things have to happen to incite change. I still can't get over that, you know, George Floyd was, he was a guy and he wasn't a perfect guy, but.
1: No, certainly he was a human being, yeah. That. I mean. Yeah.
0: His, his is, is
1: yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. I, it's, it's, um, I heard people making excuses like saying, oh, he was a bad guy with this and that, you know what? um the, 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 the penalty for, um, the penalty for for whatever twenty dollars or whatever is not death. The penalty for uh, drug possession is not death. The penalty for whatever uh, not producing an ID or even running away from a cop it shouldn't be death. That we have, um, you know, I'm I know police have an amazingly difficult job. I know that it's um, I've we've had family friends who are police officers um, and oh, yeah. but but my problem is that we need to find you know it's like there are bad artists out there who do bad things there are bad i'm greek there are bad greek people out there who do bad things i don't want to take responsibility for people who are <laughs> yeah. uh yeah uh, but you have to acknowledge that there are bad police officers too and i want the police to be the best they could possibly be and so until we come to terms with the fact that not all police officers are good and doing the right thing. And um, uh, I think we need to just acknowledge reality. You know, it's not calling out all police officers, it's calling out bad police officers. Um, and no, and you need we to-
0: too. Yeah, I mean, as I was writing um, the documentary I was working on at the time all this was going on, um, it occurred to me, somebody had said, um, change is scary to people so when you, yeah. when you approach change it's going to rattle people yeah you know it rattled you into drawing it rattled people to talk about some of the response for that some of the behind the scenes when when that art was released into the world
1: Yeah. So, so um, we had a quick conversation about this and I think that um, it was more like, you know, can you have constructive conversations rather than just yelling past each other? Yelling past each other doesn't do much good. And, and um, I heard from some people, you know, who, who didn't want, you know, who thought, who thought that it was not a good idea to have, um, to show somebody's worst moment. Right, the moment of their death, and put that on an image like a poster or a piece of artwork. And I understood that. And then I was trying to think of what is the response to something like that. And I came up with a. There's a couple um, examples uh, that I said respectfully. I disagree, and the this is the reason. Um, You have iconic moments where change can happen. Based on showing people the reality of the situation, whether it's the photo from the My Lai massacre, whether it's the little girl running with napalm, right. um, whether whether it's the the woman um, on her knees at Kent State over the prone body of a fellow student, whether it's um, you know there are these moments that are people's worst moments, but people should be aware that something happened and we should deal with the reality, rather than just sweeping things under the rug or moving on to the next thing, whether it's a mass shooting in a school or whatever. Um, and artists only have the tools that they have. Uh, whether, I mean, I think of Goya's um, Disasters of War series where he showed all these horrible things that were occurring he painted so many beautiful paintings but at the same time he felt the need to document what was happening as well and i think one of the reasons he's so well respected is because he did both you know i, I love drawing pretty pictures i love drawing angels and um you know bee girls that's one of the my one little character I'm working with and hopefully can do a kid's book or something someday. But I feel like if I'm not speaking out or at least um, expressing my my outrage over um, certain situations that happen in our society, then I'm not fulfilling my job as an artist. That's just me personally. Other people have certain things, but just for me personally, this is how I feel about my own work.
0: Well, what do you feel your role as an artist is?
1: Um, I think, I think in certain ways to, 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 um, to point out things for the, for good or ill about society. I mean, I'm fairly opinionated on most things. Um, I get a bad time because when we, uh, when my family were going for to eat something, they asked, where do you want to eat? And I always say, I don't care. What do you want you guys pick? And I get a, I, I'm always, um. Kind of hammered about that, like oh, you know, you never make up your mind, blah blah blah. And I and I always say, well, if I have a strong opinion about it, you'll definitely know it. You know, I'm not I'm not a, I'm not shy about my opinions. It's just certain things I'm not. You know, I'm okay either way, not a not a problem. But for when it comes to societal problems, um, I don't want to be. Um, I don't want to be too cartoony in the, in the sense of uh you know turning turning an issue that is has a lot of depth and has a lot of nuance to it and turning it into some easy fix but at the same time there are certain things that I can't abide by um one of those was the child separation policy um we had at the border I don't you know I understand that uh that there, it's an issue and it's not there's no easy fix. And, you know, how do we how do we deal with the situation? But the intentional removal of children from parents to me is, is an absolutely horrifying thing. And I felt I had to speak up about that. Uh, and so that comes from I don't know, just living living life, I guess, and being a parent. And you think about losing your kid at a, uh, you know, losing your kid. At a at a store for less than you know, twenty seconds or two minutes, and you're wondering where they are, and it's a horrifying thought. But uh, losing a kid for, you know, two or three months, I, I just can't even abide by.
0: Oh, I I understand. Um, but as an artist, you also kind of celebrate. You have talk about uh, the image of of the women around the Statue of Liberty that you created, because I find this one personally very
1: motivating, and I kind of love yeah. it. So uh, that one occurred um, originally, much like the, the Obama piece I'd done in 2009, um, we were preparing for uh, the 2016 election, uh, and I got in touch with The New Yorker again, and one of my ideas was to, you know, if, if um, Hillary was going to be um, president, it would be a historic occasion, and then that it would be the first woman president. Um, so you make plans, uh, you know. Either way, but this particular idea was: um, if she was the first woman president, she would be sworn in, and again, who would be around her? And you think of women from throughout history, and where uh, who would be at that particular occasion? So I, one of the great things about these kind of pieces is that you can do deep dives and um, looking at the history of women um, and the women's rights struggles in in this country. Um, there's some names that occur to me right away. Everybody's heard of Susan B. Anthony and, um, uh, I'm trying to think of some other, you know, uh, Gloria Steinem and the woman's movement. Um, but then there's a lot of women that, you know, you read about one woman and then it leads to another woman and it leads to another woman whose stories might not be as well told. And so I go through this and pick a bunch of, uh, figures from throughout history and, and have them surround, uh, the first woman Supreme Court Justice, Sandra Day O'Connor, who would be giving the oath to Hillary. We all know what happened um, on the election. And so I'm looking at this piece of art and I'm wondering, what do I do with it? How do I repurpose it? And then I thought, well, no matter who the winner is as president, there's one thing that is is hopefully will save this country no matter whoever becomes president. And that's the rule of law. And um, our Constitution, and so I thought, well, who who would you have being sworn in? Um, and at that point, I thought, well, you could have the Statue of Liberty being sworn in, um, as you know, and taking the oath on the Constitution. And so I ended up kind of reimagining it as as in in that particular scene, um, and it was more of a, a question of trying to find people to have inspiration. Uh, you know, an inspirational message they can look to, um, because I didn't want people to lose hope. Um, I, the idea that our country is you know two hundred odd years old and we still haven't had a woman president to me is so absurd. Thinking about it, you know, it's just crazy. But um, you know, apparently Hillary wasn't the right person uh, according to the vote, but. Somebody should have been president long before uh, the 2016 election. We've had so many capable women in office um, that could have handled the job as well, if not better than their male counterparts that you'd think I at think least a few would have been voted in by now.
0: Yeah, culture is a hard thing to change. and yeah. you know Anybody will say that and you try, you know. Yeah. It's just a hard thing to do and you just keep Snapping away at it, um, I am. I am. I kind of want to talk about some of your process because you do a lot of art that looks like hand drawn art, and you you create a lot digitally. So I'm interested in hearing a little bit about how, what your your mediums are. And
1: yeah. Um. So uh, you know, I still do uh, painting and drawing, sketchbooks, things like that. But I found that for most of my work. Um, I I work quickly. I used to use Photoshop and um, a Wacom tablet, and then I I um, um, started using an an iPad and an Apple pencil, which I carry around everywhere. Um, and it's it allowed me to be portable. When I was working at a design job in San Francisco, I would take you know Bart into work every day, and I would spend an hour on the train. And the idea of just being able to work uh, anytime I traveled was was awesome, and the portability of it. Um, and so I've been using an iPad with either um, Adobe Fresco or, or Procreate, and I always start with a a black canvas since I sort of work backwards, almost like. Um, uh, you know, the scratch board, if you're familiar with scratch board, where you take a razor and you scratch out the black paint and reveal the white. Well, I kind of, instead of drawing in shadow, I draw in light. Uh, um, that's how I start working. And then using an Apple pencil, I basically do hand draw in everything. Um, there's no, I, there's no control alt shift six or whatever <laughs> to produce the kind of work I do, but, um, just a lot of, um, You know, if I'm doing illustrations, usually it's a lot of um, uh, light opacity uh, going over a piece over and over again to form the pictures that I want to do. And I usually um, complete black and white illustration first and then color it in later um, using that. Or if I'm hand lettering in, I'll sketch in, um, you know, by hand all the, all the letters of the words or the phrases to complete a portrait, but it allows me to work quickly. And it allows me to, um, there's sort of like a level of, um, a fear that's removed. Um, because if you're on deadline and you're working on painter canvas, you know, paint and canvas or paper, uh, you know, I always have sort of a fear in the back of my head that I'll, spill paint on it or i'll ruin it somehow or i'll get something wrong and this sort of uh, on deadline especially allows me to work quickly with and be more fearless in my work um so it's been helpful in that way it's just a tool like any other tool but um i prefer to work like that when i'm on an assignment
0: no i kind of like i i had a, a similar little thing with my ipad i'm a doodler I, i'm not a you know but uh, I I kind of like doodling on the iPad because it's like all the fun, none of the mess. But yeah. on the other yeah. hand, Mama likes making her mess too. <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> but when I don't have time or I want to get it out, I like that. So I think that that's cool. I also the visual
1: thrill of uh, putting stuff on paint on paint on canvas or or sketching using colored pencils. That's still there. That's still something I like doing. But yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: fun. So looking back over your year, I kind of find it fascinating because I look at, you know, I've been looking at the New Yorker, Time Magazine forever. So the fact that, you know, you can call them up and say, hey, I got an idea. I'm just going to send it over is pretty fascinating. Can you talk about some of those moments where, like, you met people that opened doors for you in your career? I'm I'm just so fascinated by where people meet people and how.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think um, one thing you'll find, at least, well, I, I, I don't know if I can speak for everybody, but one thing I found is that, you know, I there's a, a constant series of things that, that, you know, if you put the work in, um, you'll find some doors being open to you and other people that you know can help you get through those doors. Uh, I remember the first time I was doing uh, I, I'm a big music head. I love, uh, you know, I, I used to DJ. I collected music. I've played it. You know, it's such a big part of my life. And one of the things I always loved doing was concert posters. Um, but I always wanted to work on the Fillmore series. Uh, and I didn't know how to go about doing that. But a friend of mine, a fellow artist by the name of Isabel Samaras, her work is fantastic, by the way, check it out. And her husband, Marco Sorensen, um, They're both artists and uh, they have done they did some Fillmore posters. So I simply asked them, you know, uh, you know, you how you go about, you know, contacting somebody at the Fillmore. And they provided me with the art director at the time. Her name was Arlene Osejic and. Um, I sent they gave me her email. I sent an email in with a couple of samples and um, heard back from her. I think a uh, a couple days later saying, yeah, sure, if something opens up and um, eventually started doing some posters for the Fillmore um, series in San Francisco, which is which is great. So that leads to putting together a portfolio. When you start getting your pieces, you know, you just keep updating your portfolio and then you send it out to other people. And, um, I have some other friends, uh, one of whom is Mark Ulrichson who's done a ton of New Yorker covers. He's probably one of the two or three biggest New Yorker cover artists. Um, and I've known Mark for a while. Uh, we share a common love of baseball and the San Francisco giants and, um, But, uh, you know, I finally had some ideas that I I wanted to take a crack at with the New Yorker. So I asked Mark if, you know, they think they were they thought he thought they were worthy of sending in. He was very encouraging. Uh, And so I took a chance and emailed in some samples uh, and then heard back. Surprisingly, Um, you know, it's the New Yorker is like this big fortress and it's they get. I'm sure hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of submissions. So it can be quite intimidating. But I think the the simple act of trying to send your work in or or not assuming that your work might not be good enough or or, uh, something like that, you know, I think think making attempts, but also developing like a thick skin about it too, Um, listening to criticism. But along the way, you'll find there are, Uh, people that can help or offer advice, people that have gone through what you're going through and have worked their way past it. So I think um, asking for advice or, uh, you know, um, maybe being bold and attempting to uh, send some work in that that you, you know, keep in mind you should always look at the format and what you're trying to send work in for. If you're sending work into Sports Illustrated or ESPN, you have to look at their past history and, you know, and see, you know, you want to tailor some of your artwork to to the way they would see it.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, but yeah, along the way you do meet people. And I think um, whether you're joining groups of uh, fellow like-minded artists or you know um i guess networking in that way it's it's definitely helpful so
0: yeah yeah so, but it takes a lot of bravery doesn't it i mean you just got to put you yeah. like nobody sits there and looks at the artist and go man you're so brave but we are so, yeah because we are so we are I so always like you know this is our stuff this is our blood on that canvas you know
1: and, yeah yeah i always said that um It's funny because I was working at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts for a while and occasionally they'd get an artist in there and Yerba Buena is trying to display their artwork and some of them get uh, some of the artists get really uh, particular and like, you know what, if you're not going to do it this way, I'm not going to do it or I'm not going to be part of it. And I didn't quite understand that attitude. I understand being precious about your art. You know, we all feel very strongly about our own artwork. But at the same time, if people are trying to help you, whether it's a a gallery or, you know, um, whatever. um, Listening to them and trying to work with them, I think, is really important because um, these are people that are trying to promote your work. And it's well and good to you could be the greatest artist in the world and nobody will have ever seen a single piece. If all you do is hang it up in your own garage. If you're okay with that, that's fine. But if you have ambitions to be seen, which I think most artists, um, would admit that, you know, in their deepest, darkest core, (laughs) that they want their work to be seen by people. That's the idea. Um, then, uh, getting your work out there is important and uh, marketing one of my great failures uh, in life. And I'm trying to improve with that every day is sometimes that. uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. That's necessity. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and You know, I guess the more you put yourself out there, the more you get surprised by who's in tune with you and who is, I yeah. think about that as a musician, you know, I think, or anything I do, I did, uh, the pandemic has got me doing all kinds of little things. Like I did some artwork and I was, you could have knocked me over when someone said, can I buy that? And I'm like, what? Yeah. Kelly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's great. I'm like, okay, i am happy to, you know, make you happy and take your money and be, you know,
1: yeah, I think it's a self, a sense of self-worth too. Um, to accept the fact that you're creating something that, um, people do want to buy. They not only do they like, um, I had a hard time with that as well. You know, it's where you're, you know, you're the idea of pricing my artwork is just drives me nuts. You know, I just want somebody else to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. Um, but you know, at, at at a certain level, you have to think practical as well. And, um, Your your work is worth something and and you shouldn't devalue your work. I think that's important. Um, But at the same time, be realistic about the market, too. Um, Some people just hang a huge price tag on the first painting they do. Um, And that's probably not the way to go. Uh, Judging from other people I know in the field, you know, you start slow, you build up a collection and you, you know, find a a fair point, you think, in terms of uh, pricing, and then you can always gradually go up from there, you know, and and build up a a following that way. Um, It's a lot of the equivalent of doing, you know, illustrations for people, uh, you know, um, you know, you always hear this as an artist, you know, you can use this piece in your portfolio, we're not gonna pay you. Well, when you're just starting out, that's probably, that's okay. You know, it's okay to take jobs like that. But as you get going um, in your career and you're starting to um, your time becomes more precious as you're working to being a a paid artist, um, you're going to do less and less or if any of that. Um, I don't need to pad a portfolio. I need to, you know, feed my child. And (laughs) so you kind of uh, you have to balance all this. So.
0: There's a funny there's a funny story that that follows musicians around all to all the time because invariably, you know, and I'm, you know, I have a local band and we do great. We have a good time. We love what we're doing, and that's kind of where we live. And
1: you guys are awesome, by the way. I saw the Thank so, you. yeah, it's so nice. Um, yeah,
0: and we have fun. But every once in a while, someone comes up to me and says, Kelly, I want you to play my venue, and I'm not going to pay you. But you're gonna get all kinds of exposure. And I always look at them and say the same thing. Do I look 18? <laughs> and I'm like, you yeah. have no idea how much money I spent on instruments, how much we how much time and effort we spent in learning how to play them, how much time and effort we spent in buying the stuff that's going to get the sound out to you. You know, like, do I look 18? Yeah. Do I look yeah. Yeah. you know <laughs>
1: I'm going to to walk into a Honda dealership and say, look, I'm going to take your, you know, 2021, you know, um, Civic, and I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to pay you, but I'm going to drive it around and people are going to see it, you know, (laughs) at a certain point.
0: You know, and I get it, that you know, it's it's hard, but, and, you know, I like it better when people just say, Kelly, can I have a freebie? And if it's for a good cause, and I believe in that cause the answer will be yes, because I want yeah. to help. Yep. But I also yep. didn't want to be taken advantage of because you think,
1: no. you know. I yeah. Know. People should think about that. Um, like I said, if you're, if you're working for, there was a, um, a group called uh, violence against women, uh, uh, prevention group. And, um, you know, they asked for some pieces for an auction or something. Uh, I think I was working with them on that. And, you know, on something like that, you're just going to, you know, of course, you know, you're not going to charge people for stuff that's, you know, or you, you, at, you know, an animal um, rescue shelter. There's, there's certain things that you're like, I, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. If I can't do it, I can't do it, but um, I'm not insulted in the least when people ask for stuff like that um, with the understanding that, you know, I might not have time or, I, you know, com- previous commitments or Whatever. Um, But, you know, the idea that, you know, you're going to you think you're doing me a favor by telling me I'm going to get exposure. uh, It's just it's kind of insulting to the artist because you don't ask an accountant to do your taxes. You know, I'll recommend you to a bunch of people. You know, this is it's sort of, you know, that's how you make your living. But I think artists and designers fall prey to that probably musicians too you're right they probably belong in the same category more than most other professions about you know people saying you know can you do this for free
0: and uh, you know i shouldn't complain i should at least say you know it's an honor to be nominated <laughs> you know i mean it's nice that you think so much yeah. of you, that you want me to come even though you want me to do this for you, which is you yeah. know. They're just little pet peeves with John and Kelly,
1: you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's <laughs> so um,
0: a good time to talk about yeah. the creative toolkit and uh, talk about some of those things that get us paid and and um, so tell me three things that you have in your creative toolkit that that really help motivate you and help you keep focused and help you tell the stories that you want to tell.
1: Um, I, I think first is um. Building, I don't know, from the making lemonades out of lemons kind of thing, I think um, having consistently working, consistently drawing for me and generating ideas. I mean, there's a lot of ideas in that. I don't know if it equals three, but uh, I always draw I constantly try to come up with ideas and then when something doesn't work I don't just throw it away I think the idea of going back and looking at previous ideas and seeing how they can be worked into future projects not only is time saving but sometimes your creation is waiting for the perfect moment and that moment might not be now is it's a big deal I think if you're an artist and you're idea generating um, I think looking back on previous work, uh, there's so many pieces that I've done that I look back on uh, that I did it for one thing, whether it was a New Yorker idea or something for time magazine idea that I was able to use a year later, two years later because something else happened and this is the perfect moment for that. It works out that way. And I think, um, Um, not letting things go to waste, especially good ideas. And if you know, they're a good idea, um, try not to get too down about the fact that it might not be it's time, but that you might be able to reuse it. I think, uh, I think that really helps in terms of, uh, atmosphere. I think putting yourself in the right mood to do what you do to create what you want to create for me, that's music. I'm constantly playing music. Um, And being inspired by it, whether it's the lyrics or the music itself Um, and being open to um, different kinds of music, too, uh, can can trigger different ideas or thoughts about um, projects you're working on. Um, And finally, to me, uh, I think I mentioned it. Well, I did mention it at the beginning as part of the, the first point, but. Um, idea generation, um, combining things that might not seem like they go together to create something new. Uh, whether that's you know pulling an imagery from the Renaissance period or a famous painting and trying to combine it with some new commercial jingle you heard uh, or some news story of the day, I think that that works out really well for me as well um, because. Creating the artwork is, you know, obviously what you get paid for, but I think what can separate you from the pack is um, generating not only quality artwork, but a good idea behind that artwork um, to make it a step above. Um, so those are, I don't know, I don't know if I, knew, I that's kind of a messy three, I guess. <laughs>
0: what's not messy? You know, Where are already, you know, I know I love those and they make perfect sense. And, um, they kind of hit into, um, a lot of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about, which is, um, probably why I called you anyway. <laughs> so I got to tell you, it has been such a pleasure getting to know you and seeing your work mm-hmm. and, and the fact that you're using your voice, you're using your power for good. And I love that. And please, Keep it up. Keep up the good work. And um, if you want to um, see more of, of John's work, at zenpop.com, correct? Yeah. Zenpop.com. yeah. He's got some posters. You can have some uh, John Mavrudis in your home. Um, and they're not all political. They're not all social issues. There are lots of things. Um, you're a big sports fan. Um, yeah. Giants. Yeah. And, and I love that you've been able to... Uh, I just got to say this, your your um, Golden State Warrior posters, where you just incorporated, it was a typographical portrait, but you put in fans' names to build the players. It's yeah. so great. It's just like, you. you know, it's just a heart-bursting moment of love that you've given fans. And I just think it's amazing. I'll put all Thank that you. up on Facebook. It's so fun. I can't imagine how great yeah. all that is.
1: Yeah, it was great to work with them. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, yeah, I'm a big Warrior fan, so that was a, that was a thrill to be able to work with them. But uh, thanks for the kind words, Kelly. I appreciate it. It's been oh, fun. Any
0: anytime and please come back and um, talk with us, or you can you can do whatever you want. You know, I know you said you you always thought about doing podcasts. You can co-host with me. You can guest host whatever you want to do. I'm game. <laughs>
1: I yes. would never be that presumptuous, but that's very <laughs> kind of you.
0: You never know. Just put it in the backpack and just think about I, it anyway.
1: I came up with a new logo for you, Kelly. It's gonna say the John in huge letters and Kelly No, I'm just kidding. I would yes, never do that. The John. I'm, good I'm good with it. I'm <laughs> right your oh way
0: my no. I am. <laughs> Thanks so much. Come back and talk to us again, okay?
1: Sounds good. Thank you so much, Kelly. I really enjoyed it.
0: The creative backstory wouldn't be possible without the support of Juxtahub, Emmaus, Pennsylvania's arts and innovation center, where people from all walks of life gather, create, and grow. If you've been inspired by a creative person in your life or have a story about your favorite creative processes, we'd love to hear about it. Contact us at thecreativebackstory at gmail.com.